All right, folks. Let's go ahead and come on in. We're going to get rolling this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 8. You have your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Find a Bible. Romans chapter 8. Let's do this thing. All right, we're going to do uh, one verse at a time, and we got four of the MGC youth, and we got four verses to read, so you guys ready? Yeah. Guys ready? You're going to do a little scripture reading this morning. Uh, Let me see if I can pull. So Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at verses uh, 1 through 4. Again, I, I've just felt like the Lord has like called us to like put the brakes on, stop, soak in this passage, kind of soak up as much as we possibly can uh, from it. Um, and so I'm, I'm not in a hurry. I think in January we'll jump into a new sermon series called Too Busy for a Seat at the Table. Um, so just tackling the issue of busyness. We're all, we all face it, but it's a, um, to be straight, it's a, deep, a deep-seated issue. Uh, that really needs to be rooted out. One of the premises in that sermon series will be this, like, how can, how can you truly love someone? How can you love God if you're too busy? Love demands time. Love demands prioritizing uh, your life. Uh, the things that you value, you prioritize your life toward. Um, and so we're going to be just walking into that a little bit and exploring just kind of how our hearts, especially in our Western world, have gotten tied into this busyness thing. Um, So we'll deal with that in in weeks to come. Uh, But we're in, again, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. You guys ready to read it? So I'm going to hand the mic to you, and you can do verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. Everybody there? Romans chapter 8. Uh, that may be different from Bible to Bible. Oh, no, I think you're, you guys are good. Okay, Romans. Are you there? You're in Timothy. Yeah, I think that's a different one. Acts, Romans, Romans chapter 8. You got verse 3. All right, ready, Ava? All right, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Christ of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. In the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who talk to according to flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, good, good. All right, so first one, I just want to make sure we're not rushing through. We do our scripture reading, and then it's like we we expect a sermon, hand-fed kind of stuff, and it's like, Get, get the text before you, in your mind. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. We're going to focus on that with the few minutes that we have. He's done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending his own son. In the, that's Christmas. That's what we just celebrated yesterday, the coming of Jesus. How did God do what the law could not do for us? Well, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. All right. Uh, to do just a little bit of review, and I got to get my uh, marker out, to do just a little bit of review, where we've been is actually exploring this particular phrase in Christ. Remember? 
the two components of this reality of it being in Christ that Paul then points out in these verses is that first, there's no what? Condemnation. No condemnation. That's a legal term. That's the courtroom. You're in the courtroom. You're guilty. But the judge turns to you and says, there's no guilt for you. That's amazing. You're, think about it. You are guilty. Paul has already said earlier in the passage, uh, in previous chapters, there is none who are righteous. No, not one. Paul is saying everybody's guilty. Cowboy illustration, you know, Western movie stuff. Everybody wears the black hat. Everybody rides the black horse. We're all bad. In God's view, we're all bad. We fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're guilty, yet in Christ, God turns to us as the judge he is. We're on trial, and he says, you who were guilty have no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amazing. Don't, don't let just the simplicity of that just kind of drain away. That's an eternity of punishment. That, that's, you know, as, as someone, it is, you, you step into the courtroom with some of these decisions that are made in the courtroom, and, and it, it, it sucks the very wind out of people's lungs, right? Because they're in, in anticipation of what the judge will say. Am I going to get life for this? Like, that's real stuff for people, right? How much time am I going to get for the wrongs that I've done? Right? And there's this time of anticipation, even as we've done a lot of courtroom stuff with some of the foster kids. Man, it is, there's a whole unique sense of sobriety in sitting in a courtroom. This isn't just, oh, that's a nice Bible verse. I learned that in Sunday school when I was a little kid, or I learned it in Wana class. You know, you just comes through your mind and goes out the other, other ear. It's, it's no, these, these are massive truths that if you'd allow your soul to sit there for a while, you should be trembling in some sense. This is your eternal destiny. God saving you from eternal hellfire damnation and actually then making you one who is his child. You belong in his family. No condemnation for you. All right, I believe at that point long. Um, no condemnation in Christ. But there's also this reality of being in Christ that Paul points out, and that is freedom in the Holy Spirit. All right? All of this, if we, if we want to circle all of this, this is all just aspects of our salvation. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are in him, right? And part of that, I mean, literally in him. We are literally in him. That, that refers to um, a, a number of aspects. Yeah, we have a position, but it's, it's also like you are in him by his spirit being in you. Does that make sense? Right? So you, we're connected. Our, our, our new man, so to speak, our newness in Jesus is actually a new DNA, a heavenly DNA now, because God is actually in us. The Spirit is in us. We are in Christ. This is the, bound, the beauty of salvation. This is not, and this is all set up for where we're going today, this is not just like, well, I kind of have known God part, you know, most of my life, you know, and I just, you know, I grew up and we kind of just did church and we just, look, if there's not been an encounter with Yahweh, where you said, I went from darkness to light. That may have been a process in some sense. Uh, some, sometimes, man, you are, you are born again, but sometimes you got to go for the, that, that full nine months of labor before you actually come and encounter Yahweh, right? But there is, in reality, this, this from darkness to light, this, this I don't know God, I live in the flesh, to now I know this God and I'm living by his spirit. I know by experience, not just by theology, not just by Sunday school lesson, I know God. He is in me and I am in him. All right, so this, this, is, this is our salvation that we're talking about. Part of it that Paul emphasizes is positional. It's legal. There is no condemnation. But he also points out, believe verse 2, that there is freedom by the Spirit. Now, we haven't even touched on this word freedom. 
This word freedom has the idea, it's oftentimes used in relationship to slavery. Slaves who are set free. Um, this also relates Old Testament to the year of Jubilee. Every so many years, if you carried debt to someone, you were enslaved to them by way of that debt, and you would be cleared of that debt and set free. There's freedom. So you once were in chains, you once were bound to someone, now you're being set free. The, the question then is, okay, how is, how is Paul utilizing this term here? What, what are we free from? And maybe we could ask, what are we free to? And what Paul is saying is, and, and this comes from the big storyline of Scripture. When Adam and Eve were created, God gave them the commands that he gave them. Have dominion over the earth. Have authority over the earth, right? So uh, did, did Adam and Eve obey that command? No, um, it, they didn't. Uh, Adam and Eve were to co-labor with God to see all of creation cultivated, right? What they did is they denied God. And who did they obey? Say, oh man, look at these guys, all right? So they disobeyed God and they obeyed Satan. It wasn't just, oh, Adam and Eve committed a sin. They ate the fruit, the forbidden fruit. Don't, don't just reduce it down to, they were called in their humanity to co-labor with God to see all of create. That was their created design. Like, everybody in the world is looking for their purpose. Man, what's my purpose? What's my dream? Well, God's created us to work with him to see all of creation cultivated. Now you watch Adam and Eve. They don't obey God. They disobey God. And they obey who? Bam. All right? They obey. So who did they choose to co-labor with? Satan. All right? Sin is not just missing the mark. Have you heard that definition before? The actual word, yes, means at times. There's various words to describe the word sin. But missing the mark becomes one of them, transgression, all these kind of things. But sin in the broader scope of the storyline of Scripture is actually that I've chosen to co-labor with the enemy. I've chosen not to obey God, but in my choosing not to obey God, I'm choosing to co-labor with the enemy. I'm never doing something in between. That's why Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Following who? Who are you following? The prince of this world. That's not Jesus. <laughs> That's Paul's way of pointing his finger at Satan. Like you were once following him. There's no in-between, well, I just don't know Jesus. I'm just not so religious. It's either you have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You either follow Jesus or you're not just doing bad things. You're not just lost in your sins. You're following Satan. You're co-laboring with him. That's in our Western, I'm getting off track, but in our Western world, we've created this gap between those two realities. There's a gap. Well, you know, I can just kind of live my life. And whether I have God or I don't have God, you know, I can just kind of live my life. There's this middle ground here where I'm responsible for me. No, no, no. It's overlapping. You're either with Jesus or, as Jesus says, you're against me. It, there's no neutral ground. You're either following Jesus or you're following the enemy. You are always a follower. You're always a follower. That's the way you've been created. You've, you've been created to co-labor with someone, to share authority with someone. Getting back to the point. You either become a slave to God. That's the language of scripture. You either live in the freedom of his rule and reign. You either co-labor with him or you co-labor. You live under the authority of the prince of the world, right? You either live under the authority of God or you live under the authority of Satan. And that, in both of those cases, it's about slavery. It's about, you are either bound to God in Christ Jesus or you're bound to Satan to live according to the flesh. Do you catch it? 
All right? So this freedom means that you have been set free from the authority of the enemy, set free from the sin and the condemnation that you were under, and now you stand in the innocence, in the righteousness, but under the authority, a new authority of God himself. You catch it? There's freedom. There's nothing in between. There's no kind of riding the fence. There's no fence line here. You're either in slavery to the enemy, or I'll say it this way, you're in slavery to the Lord. And whenever the scripture speaks of being a bond servant of the Lord, you'll hear Paul describe himself that way. I'm a bond servant of the Lord. You're like, I don't want to be a servant to anybody. <laughs> oh, you will always be bound to somebody. You will always be following somebody. You'll always be in slavery to someone, right? <laughs> to the points of the spouse, right? Is there any neutral ground? See if you're following. Any neutral ground? No, right? No neutral ground. You're either following Satan or you're following the Lord. And the way then that we get from point A to point B is receiving Jesus, right? We come to faith in Jesus. In Jesus, we're given this new position. We're not guilty. But what we're also given is this potential, this potential now to serve, to co-labor with God in Christ Jesus, to see his purposes brought to fulfillment within the world through you. And that's what we mean by potential. When you're saved, right, saved out of the slavery of the enemy, slaved, saved into the family of God, now you're given this potential. This is never going to change. It's always important for us to say that. When you come to faith in Jesus, ain't nothing going to change that. He saved you. You did not save yourself. He made you transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You can't undo that stuff. He did it. And so when we trust in Jesus, we have a position, an, an, a position of innocence, a position of righteousness before God, whereby he can say, you are my child. You belong with me. That will never change. This is something that must be cultivated in your life. There's potential. That's the illustration. What is this, Judson? An acorn. All right. From an acorn to, Trinity, an oak tree, right? The acorn is like your position in Jesus. It has all the, it's, it's all the benefits of salvation distilled down into this seed form, right? You get this position. You get the acorn. Now, it's important to realize, I should probably take this out, that the acorn similar to as James had mentioned, the acorn has to be planted. If you're going to have a seed and you want a seed to grow, what do you do with it? You plant. You stick it in the ground, right? So, using another P word. All right? The acorn sprouts into being in the presence of God. You don't do that on your own. There's no way that you can sprout into the potential that God has designed for you by just kind of cultivating it yourself, just doing it yourself. No, it becomes through relationship, remember? It comes through encountering the presence of God, running into his presence, ascending the hill like we talked about earlier. And this goes with all the imagery then that Jesus gives us of what it means to be in Christ. Remember the, the vine and the branches, Right, so Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We have to be connected in, but we have to do what? Abide in his presence. We have to abide in him. He'll talk about the rock, the rock of our salvation. We've been placed upon the rock, but then Jesus says, you got to dig down into the rock. Make sure your life is firmly secured into the person, into the presence of God. Right? So this journey of actually cultivating the seed into an oak tree is a, is a discipline of the presence, going after God. I must know him. I must learn of him. I must make sure I'm, I'm abiding in him. And that is not just a sit down, let's have a Bible study moment. That's part of it. It's far more that goes into a relationship. 
if, if your relationship, let's say, with the spouse is only by black and white words tossed back and forth to one another, right? That's not much of a relationship. There's far more dynamics to a relationship, but I think what we've oftentimes done is boiled it down. Well, I know this verse, you know? I know this verse, and this verse is going gonna, is gonna to be the thing. And, and it's what Jesus actually warns the Pharisees of. He says, you, you've known this Bible inside and out, but you don't realize that it's this book that points to me who is the source. I'm the presence. I'm, I'm the one who can give you true life. Just having a head full of knowledge is just going to make you an arrogant religious person. Right? And so that's what Jesus shows us, that even, even the Bible, we can take these good things and actually make idols out of them themselves and undo the process of actually seeing our lives fulfilled the potential that God created them to fill. Now, um, we talked then, I'm going to leave this out for the sake of time. We talked about obstacles, the things that get in the way of our potential. And the first one on the list, Dan, was... All right, critical Christian was there. Any others? Religious. Religious Christian, all right, was at the top of the list. Why I want to focus on that for a few minutes is because that's the emphasis of the text here. Like, of all the objections and all the obstacles that get in the way of our potential in Jesus, Paul is pointing out religiosity. Okay, now, Judson, when it comes to being religious, what do you think of? Is that a bad word or a good word, maybe? Oh, yeah, all right. It could be a good one. It could be a bad one. Trent, what do you think? What does it mean to be religious? Don't know how to explain. Any ideas? All right. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is why I bring it up. And this is why I put you guys in trial, all right? Uh, because the word religious can become confusing. In fact, James will use the word religious and say this is true uh, religion, you know, caring for the orphans and the widows. Um, so it, we use this word and we're like, well, is that good or is that bad? And maybe a better word that we could use is called legalism. Okay? Uh, how would you define legalism? Anybody? Finding the right means to be done. Do, uh, finding the right what? Means to be done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because you want to move forward. Yep. And you want to build your foundation on the righteousness. Uh-huh. And the only way you can keep your righteousness right is legalize everything to build your foundation up right. Yeah. It definitely carries some of that. Anybody else? How would you, how would you talk about legalism? Laws that you have to follow. All right. Laws that you have to follow. That's good. Ooh, yes. All right, good. Man-made doctrines. Man-made doctrines, yes. So this is the stuff, then, that when we talk religious in a negative sense, we're often referring to legalism, right? Legalism is sometimes adding to God's law, right? Man-made religion, which was, folks were guilty of that in the context of Romans 8. But it's also then doing God's law, not by his grace, right, but in our own effort, right, by works, right. So legalism is sometimes adding to God's laws, and we're going to create our own laws, but at other times, uh, it's doing God's law apart from God's grace. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not going to lean on God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to actually expect the law to produce in me the things that I, you know, need to be produced into, right? Um, and, and that's where everything gets messed up. Now, just check out verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, 
could not do. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Here's the question. Can the law change you? If I just take some standards, you know, there's the Ten Commandments. All right, all right, I can walk those out. Those are going to change me. Now, in some way, in my own efforts, do you think I could, I could, give, I could do some of it, right? Right? So law, in some sense, we would expect, oh, yeah, it, it changes us. It stands as a guide to us. But remember what Paul has already said in Romans chapter 7. If you go back just a few verses, well, about a chapter, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 and verse 12. I'm just going to read it to you. He said, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For, what I, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law didn't say you shall not covet. But sin then seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. In fact, the fact that it said, don't lie, now makes me want to lie. It's like it, it produces more rebel in me because it tells me, and I begin to see that my inner man begins oh, raging against the law that has been designed for me. Paul will then state after that, he says, verse 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Is this a bad thing that God gave us laws? No, it isn't. It is, a, it is a good thing that God gave us law, right? But the issue is, is laws themselves can't change you. Whew! That's legalism. Legalism is believing that I can do God's law apart from God's grace. All right? Paul is saying, God's law is good. It's holy. It's right. And I want to... I want to map something on here. Get ready. All right. God's law is literally the template of human flourishing. If you want to know what it really means to be you and, and to walk in a way in which, man, you can, you can pursue your potential, God's law is, is like the diagram for that. Here, here, here's the stuff. Here's, here's the way that, that, that you'll need to walk. If you're going to walk in the potential that God has given you. Remember what Jesus said. All the Old Testament law has been summed up in what? You know what? Summed up in love who? Love God. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All those 613 laws can get boiled down just to that. And so what God is saying is that true human flourishing comes first from learning or coming to know. Right? Love for God and then loving neighbor. God actually gives us all these laws to give us some sort of idea for what human flourishing is intended to look like. Don't murder. That's human flourishing. Don't lie. That's human flourishing. All right? So legalism would say, oh, if I just apply myself here, it'll produce this. Paul is saying, the law can't produce that in you. It can only show you what human flourishing might look like. Right? It can't actually produce change in you. It'll actually produce more of a rebel in you. Now, can I add one more thing to this? Bring it home a little bit. Um, that is a coin. All right, you can put George Washington's face on it or whoever you want, right? That's a coin from a side angle. All right, legalism says... I can do God's law without God's grace. This is where I might get in trouble. And I will say, for anybody who's watching, I am, I am still processing all of this. But I think the opposite side of the same coin to legalism is secularism. I know it's another big word that probably creates more fusion than, than help. Secularism is this, is, is that... It comes with a naturalistic worldview. It sees who I am through the lens of naturalism, which means I am, I am mostly, I am mostly chemical and physiology 
right? So I need my chemicals put in balance and I need my mind tended to and all that kind of stuff. And, and with the idea that within me is the answers to this. If I look within, I can find the, and if I just get my self-esteem figured out, and if I can get all my trauma and all that stuff kind of ironed out, I'm going to deal with some of my anxieties and deal with my hardships and, and find certain kind of ways to counsel that or medicate that, then I can look within to become what I've been designed for. I, 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 I tremble for the Western world. Just like legalism, with legalism, is the law bad? No. When it comes to secularism and all the therapies and the counseling and the medications, are they necessarily bad? No. But the reality of both is they can't ultimately change you. You get what I'm going, you see? What we have today is just a new version of what Paul was battling with then. The world has created, look within yourself. Well, what's the first law? It's actually not to look within myself. The first law that God's given me is to love him. Well, how do I love him if I'm following the enemy? How do I follow him if I'm walking in darkness? How do I follow him if I'm bound to my fleshly desires? How am I transferred from the kingdom of light, uh, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? How do, I, how do I find this freedom? How do I find this forgiveness? That's what people need in this world. They need a relationship with the one who they were designed for. The, the imagery that I, that, that I get is when it comes to secularism is like uh, it, it's trying to have a solar system without the sun in the middle. We'll medicate it if things get off. We'll provide these therapies. And interesting enough, a lot of therapies and, and whatnot steal, steal principles from Scripture. Once again, it's not all bad. I'm not against medication. I'm not against that stuff. It just can't ultimately change you at the deepest part of you. You are, you are created so that you might orbit around the sun. You're not an end in yourself. You can't look within. The Bible says we're image bearers. We are literally mirrors. Through which, when we posture ourselves before the presence of God, it's God's character, it's his light, it's his holiness that is mapped onto me and then shines out to everyone else. But if I'm sitting back thinking the answer is within me, it's within human wisdom that I can just look within myself and find the answers. If you bend a mirror in a, on itself, what's it happening to the mirror? It breaks. Have you ever tried to bend a mirror? <laughs> doesn't work, does it? But that's what we're doing in our world. And so what's happening is, yes, can I go to secular therapy and gain something good? Common grace allows that to be a reality. Scripture even points to that reality. All right, there, There's going to be common grace given to secular therapists and counseling where I can go there and I can benefit from it. It can do something for me. But if the end of it is continually you focusing in on you, then what you're doing is you're kicking the sun out of the solar system of your life and actually doing more damage to what God has designed you for. While then secular therapy will say, oh, no, we're on this trajectory. We're heading there. You're, you're going to become what you've always wanted to become. And what takes place is in those, in those counseling, it's oftentimes rearranging, trying to fit something into the center of the solar system to make things orbit around so your life works. We'll, we'll, we'll put relationships there, we'll put education there, we'll put good jobs there, and as long as you can pursue those things, then you can feel good about yourself, and then relationships will blossom from there, and then you'll get on the right track. We're always trying to replace God with something else. And so, it may be that, oh yeah, you know what, drugs ruled my life. Morning I woke up, what am I thinking about? How I get my buzz on, how I get high, how I, how I can escape the, the hurt and difficulty. So I'm running there, right? I'm running to that sun. I'm, ru I'm running to that thing that 
supposedly in the moment, I can believe, is, is going to give me life. It's going to give me escape from the terror that I, that I experience. Right? But can it sustain it? No. So what secular counseling, and I'm going to go here. Be, I'm, 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 I want to be humble as I'm saying this. I can go into a 12-step program, right? And I can surrender my will to the greater, higher power of what? Well, anything. Anything of my choice. It could be hobby. All right. So, all right. So, to, I'm going to go get, a, I'm gonna go get an education. I'm going to get a certificate. I can hang on my wall feel good about myself. All right? So that education now, it's no longer drugs. It's no longer as damaging to me. But I'm going to go get an education. That's going to be the thing that is going to give me the thing that I, that, that I feel like I, I, I need. I need some sort of sense of human flourishing. So that's going to that's gonna give it to me. Until that doesn't work out. Who, who guarantees that that education is going to be perfect? Who guarantees that from the education that you're going to actually find a job, that the job is actually going to be something sustainable for you and is going to give you what you want and is going to provide the finances that you want? You see, the tears keep on getting up. Now, you might have come from a really bad place, and at least you're not on the streets and you're not putting stuff in your body that could potentially kill you. So it's, it's better. It's better. But all we've done in secular counseling is rearrange the sun in, in your solar system. We've just a different idol now sits there. Go worship there. That'll make you feel better. That'll get you to your potential. Yes, and that's what—that's the whole point, right? Secularism can't ultimately change you. It can't get you to the presence, and by the presence, it can't get you to what God has designed for you to be and all your potential. It can't do it. It can help you. There's common grace. Don't hear me wrong. Take medication. All right? Get there. Right? Because we all do have difficult things. But don't ever let the sun in your solar system become the very counsel. Let it be the counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He's got to be at the center of all this. And that's why Paul is saying... You, you, you can apply yourself to all kinds of rules and regulations, and maybe you, you, you provide for yourself a better life, but you're still heading to hell. You're still heading to hell. And that's why I'm not in secular counseling. That's why I chose not to go that route. Because I, this life is but a what? Vapor. I could give you some good, some good counseling, rearrange your idols a little bit, I can give you some good counseling and still damn you to hell. It's like, let's see, how do you put these things? Gotta be smarter than the chair. (laughs) What I can do in this life is give you a better feeling life. This is a nice cushy chair. This is a better way to live. Don't live this way, live this way, right? Oh, thank you. That's a bit more comfortable. That's a bit more, oh, oh, yeah, that is good. The fact of the matter, though, is I give you a comfortable seat for a split second. Secular counseling can't give you the legs of your chair. It can give you a split second kind of comfort until you must give an account for your life. This will fall to the ground. What I want to give you is, yes, that common grace, that medication, that care, that wisdom. I want all of that, but you got to have legs on the chair. Right? you got to have someone who can actually empower your journey and who can actually then save your life from the damnation that you deserve. You get what I'm saying? I I, want to go back because I know like folks even watching are like, is he saying that what I'm doing is wrong? I'm not saying that. Like you do need your therapy and counsel. There's not enough pastors and time in the day to kind of care for all the unique needs that are represented in us. So again, I have to say, is the law bad? No. Is secular counseling necessarily bad? No. It's good, but it can't 
ultimately change you. It can't give life to the acorn. It, it can't give legs to the comfortable life. Get what I'm saying? It has to be God is first. God is first. God is first. Right? We come to know God then through the reality of what Christ has done for. He's given us a position, but I'm afraid that for many Christians, we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then we transfer our faith to this. And that is just as Paul says, God has done what the law could not do. And I would say, God has done what secularism cannot do. Get where I'm going? It's not bad. It can be useful to your life. But if your faith is in secularism and not in the God who can give you life, then you've short-circuited the common grace that can be found in secularism. Catch it? Oh, I hope, I hope so. Uh, shoot, I'm going over. Just to come back then, um, real quick. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law... The law could not function. It couldn't give you the life that God has intended for you. It couldn't produce in you human flourishing. The law couldn't produce that because the, the flesh weakened it. Does that make sense? One pastor said it uh, this way. You know, if you have a shovel, all right, there's your shovel. The shovel end is the law. Is there anything wrong with that thing? No, man, that's, that's, that's steel. That's good, that's good metal right there. That, that thing can break some ground, cultivate some stuff. Man, you can get some work done with that law. You can truly utilize that thing to see something cultivated. But you need something that can actually animate that law, work that law. And what Paul is saying is that God has done what the law Weakened by the flesh could not do. If you got a jacked up handle, you can't actually exercise the shovel. It's broken. And so that's what Paul is saying. Too many people have tried to work God's law by their fleshly abilities to then think they're actually accomplishing something when actually they're whitewashed tombs. They, look, they, they have the, the kind of outward appeal. Oh, yeah, they're kind of abiding by all the laws. They're getting by. Man, they know their Bible. Incredible. And they don't have the presence. They don't have the one who could actually leverage the truth of the law to see it produce something right and good in our lives. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do. God dealt with this. And in place of the flesh, what do we have now? The Spirit. It's the Spirit who enables us to exercise the law of God. Love God, love neighbor. The Spirit animates that. He gives you the ability to do what you in the flesh could not do. Right? Love God. How, how, how am I supposed to love Him? Remember... If, if, if I'm living in the kingdom of darkness following the prince of the air, how am I supposed to love God? You don't have the ability. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You can't transfer yourself. You can't take the flesh as one who's following the enemy, one who's bound to the enemy. He's enslaved to the enemy. Oh, you know what? I'm going to work these laws while I'm still part of the kingdom of darkness. And, and it's those laws that are going to create in me something of wonder of, of human flourishing. It doesn't work. God has to rescue us. He's got to do a work in us that we can't do in ourselves, right? Transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, giving us a position in Jesus where there is no condemnation, there is no guilt, there's only forgiveness, there's only righteousness now to walk in. And he's given us now his spirit where I'm not, no longer dependent upon the flesh. He's given us his spirit that can actually then say, all right, Lord, this journey of me stepping into my potential, living out what you've designed for me, is now a point in time where I'm living by faith 
in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Stepping out. As I step out in, in faith, he's going to supply the grace. God, I don't want to forgive that person. You don't know what they did to me. You don't recognize the trauma that it's caused me. But man, Lord, I'm going to step out knowing that as I step out in faith to say, I forgive you that he's going to bring the grace to actually make it felt within us. You see? I don't want to respond to that person in love. I want to respond to them in anger. They're my enemy. And Jesus has the right to say, love your enemies. He doesn't say that as this. Just, just, just follow the law. He does it saying, I've accomplished all of this for you. I've given you the Holy Spirit who now can take the acorn of your position and as you walk in faith, trusting in him, dependence upon his power and presence, oh, there's an oak tree of fruitfulness that can be birthed out of your life. Do you get it? Amen. You get it? So be careful. Whether it's religiosity that gets in the way of your potential or even secularism that gets in the way of your potential. Our faith is not in law. Our faith is not in counsel. Our faith is in God. And as our faith is in God, he's going to give us the spirit that then can actually animate, empower the things that God has prepared for us beforehand. Right? Our faith is in him. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to end here. Um, but I, my heart, my heart is burdened with this stuff, and that's why I'm like, I don't know if everybody on live stream is hearing this, and I want us as a church to hear these things. And again, I'm, I'm processing this stuff all over again. I feel like God takes me on these journeys, especially with secularism, because you know I started off in the counseling world and you know doing education there and trying to figure that stuff out, and I just keep coming back. It's like He just okay, this is more complicated than it is. And then it's like, no, it's actually more simple than it is. And, and I keep coming back to these things. And, and I'm at this point in place again where I'm thinking, maybe it is more complicated, you know, than, than what, and especially when it comes to cultural issues and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's more complicated. And, and then I feel like God just brings you back to a place of incredible simplicity. Right? It's just, it's just that God, God wants us. Ascend the hill this week. Like, there, there's, there's no, like, spiritual guru that, that has to go up the mountain and experience the thing and then come down to you to enlighten you. You, you, you get to go to the high mountain. You get yourself to sit in the presence of God. But then there's a whole bunch of other issues with our context is we're too busy. I remember in college, this, I'll, I'll leave it with this. I remember in college, um, it hit me. We, we had these community bathrooms, and weren't those great? Uh, so, you know, all these dorm rooms, and then these community bathrooms, and it's just, you know, stall after stall, sink after sink, shower head after shower head, and uh, pretty gross. Um, but I remember um, in the mornings, uh, I, I'd be, you know, brushing my teeth, whatever. Um, and I'd watch guys walk in to the bathroom with their Bible. And they'd walk into the stall. Yeah. That, that began to hit me. So we've, we've reduced our mountaintop experience with God to a stall. This is the kind of time I have for God. This is the kind of place that I've given in my life. I take him when I got to go number two. That, that's, where, that's where I open up the word. You know? And it stinks in there. That, I, I just want to say, like, if you do reading on the pot, I don't care. Like, great, wonderful. Like, redeem that time. Why not? Um, Trinity knows. I was uh, playing the guitar a little while back, right? Uh, <laughs> So, so there, there are times, right? But, but get the illustration. We've reduced the mountaintop 
to the stall. Yeah, I know. You're stuck now. You come to church thinking you're getting high uh, pictures of God. And so, but that's the point. Like, we, we as a church have to grow in our hunger for him. For him. And that's going to require time and effort and energy. You can't love God when you have no margin in your life for him. When you've reduced him down to a stall. And you won't have very high mountain experiences with God. He's waiting for your heart. He's waiting for you, as, as Hebrews says, to seek him with all your heart. There his pleasure is found. There his favor is found. When you say, you know what? My whole life needs to be, now be reoriented around him who is the son. Right? So our time, our, the things we're involved in in our life... I'll, I'll say it, and partly for the folks on, online. Some, of, some people shouldn't be working the jobs they're working. That has become the sun in their solar system. It, it sucks up all the time, effort and energy. You have nothing left for your family. You have nothing left for your God. Some people are looking for the next promotion in their workplace, and they shouldn't be. They should know their limits and their priorities with the Lord and say, I don't need a bigger salary. I need time with my God. Life can't be brought to you through money. Life is brought to you through God. You have to have time for his presence. You can't love him without time, right? We have to give ourselves to the Lord for, hey, just showing up to church? I have to stop. Showing up to church may just be producing death in you. You catch that? Reading your Bible may be producing death in you. It's a standard that you're walking by, but you have no life to actually animate it. Your, 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 your shovel handle is broken. You, you, oh, yeah, I'm following the law. I'm giving some attention to this thing. Well, it's not going to cultivate anything if you can't leverage it. What God gives you by his word, he also supplies them the spirit to animate it, to do something, to accomplish something, so that we can go from our position to our potential. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. I have to stop. All right. Thank you, guys. I bless you, and I just want to pray uh, also then for the folks online. God, thank you for this time. <sighs> Lord, just uh, would it be that you begin cultivating something in us where we are just not, we are not satisfied. We're not satisfied with just the acorn, just to know we're saved, just to know that, well, I, I don't, I'm not going to go to hell. Uh, Lord, let it be, let it be that this church, Mercy Gate Church, truly flows, uh, flows with your presence, that you are the substance, you are the thing, and that we give time and energy to you, to love you, to lay down our lives for, for you, to orient ourselves around you. That our faith and our focus would be in you, not in everything else. And Lord, produce then the potential that you have already, already designed for us to walk in. And we'll bless you for it. We'll praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace. Thank you, Thank you guys.